Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach who helps people embody their light and magic. And when I'm talking about coaching, I often describe it as a way to bring out your brilliance by asking empowering questions. I tell people that I'll never tell them what to do, but I may deliver an occasional unicorn bitch slap, which is my way of describing a loving caring, kind way to call them out on their shit. And today's episode with Tony Watley is a series of unicorn bitch slaps. Before we get into this episode with Tony, I have one more tidbit to share with you. I suppose this could be a unicorn bitch slap. I want to talk to you about the difference between being interested in something and committed to something. So if you're interested in traveling to Italy. You may buy guidebooks. You may uh, get posters. You may go to museums and start learning about the art. If you're committed to traveling to Italy, you're going to go start booking your tickets. You're going to call your travel agent. Maybe you're even going to start taking Italian lessons. There's the difference. If you're interested in personal development, you might be listening to podcasts like this one, you might be reading books. You might be, you might be going to live events. If you're committed, you're going to be working with a coach. You're going to be working with a therapist. You're going to be doing all the work, the deep, deep work. If you are interested in triathlon, you might race occasionally. And if you miss a workout, no big deal. You might show up at a about 80% effort for some of your workouts, but you know, it's okay. You're, you're having fun there's, and there's nothing wrong with being interested. I'm going to get into that in a second. If you're committed, you are going to be listening to your body, practicing your mindfulness while you're training. You're going to be committed to the efforts. There is nothing wrong with being interested and there is nothing wrong with being committed. If we were committed to every single thing in our lives, we'd all just crash and burn. We can't be 100% committed to every single thing we do. You know, maybe you are interested in fashion, but not committed to it, which means that, yeah, you leave your house in yoga pants on a regular basis. Maybe you are interested in healthy eating, but you're not committed to it. If you're committed to it, you, you know, you are always eating a certain way. If you're interested in it, well, you know, no big deal. I just grabbed a handful of chocolate chips. There is nothing wrong with either one, but I invite you right now to become aware. Notice in your life, where are you interested and where are you committed? And where do you maybe think that you're committed, but hmm, it turns out 
that you are only interested. If you truly want to make a change, if you are truly committed to consciously growing forward in an area, may want to try on commitment or keep exploring being interested and see how far that takes you. All right, now into today's episode with Tony. We had a blast digging into excuses. And I hope you enjoy this, and I hope this is exactly what you need today. Please receive it with an open heart and a whole lot of love. We had fun making this for you. And please shout out to Tony and me on social media. If you enjoy this episode, if you share it with your friends, Tony is at 365driven. And I'm at Kelsey Abbott CPC on Instagram. We would both love to hear from you. And also, I would love it if you could please leave a review and a rating on iTunes of the Find Your Awesome podcast. I really want to help this podcast grow. I want to help change as many lives as possible. So if you could do that and share your favorite episodes, that would help a ton. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My guest today is Tony Watley. He's an entrepreneur, a business mentor, a best-selling author, podcast host, and a speaker. Welcome, Tony. Thank you for having me on the show, and I hope we find her awesome. We, we already have it. <laughs> I, I, so for me, I actually, I don't even know if I've ever shared this with my podcast guests, but Finding Your Awesome, our, we're all born with an awesome. It's like that unique spark within each of us. And then as we go through life, we get so many people pile on all their own beliefs, all the shoulds, all those rules onto us so that our awesome gets buried. It's like under millions of different sweaters. So I help people strip those away so they can refine their awesome. That's a, that's a pretty good description of that. I think everybody suffers from that. And hopefully most people start to become aware and get away from that. Yeah, we always, I mean, I'm finding these old beliefs. It's like they're tucked in a back corner. I find them all the time. I'm like, oh, what's that about? That doesn't, no, that doesn't serve me. Let's put that aside. Well, you think about it in our purest form was when we were toddlers, because we had no fears. We had really no worries about critics or what other people thought about us when we're running around with no clothes on, screaming and doing weird things and putting whatever in our mouth. We're just basically have this unadulterated, you know, fearless, like confident attitude. And every child starts that way. That's the thing. And then by the time they become you know, teenagers, a lot of that gets ruined by who they're raised by or the society or environmental or teachers or whatever that caused these people to, to kind of go into a shell. And like you said, and lose that awesome. Yeah. And it's not even like the, the most loving, kind, empowering individuals it's not even necessarily about like what the adult said. It's what the kid hears. Yeah. It's what they believe about themselves that other people have labeled them with. So if someone says you're, you're skinny, you're fat, you're short, you're, you're dumb, you can't keep up and you're not strong enough. And if you hear that pattern a few times, you start to look for stories in your past that align with what they're insulting you with. And you start to validate those things. And that's why we start to carry that around. Exactly. We start looking for evidence. And I remember my earliest, the strongest earliest memory was first grade when they split our class into the panda bears and the unicorns. 
And we weren't supposed to know which kids were the smart kids and which were not. But this panda bear, she had figured it out that she wasn't sparkly. Um, and yeah, I remember the story immediately being like, I'm not good enough. No. Yeah, I, re I remember in grade school, like hearing about like gifted kids and things like that. And then some of the kids would brag about themselves because they found out they were gifted students. And they used to irritate the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, how is that person smarter? And here's the funny thing that made me laugh recently. I can't remember which book. I wish I could remember which book I was reading, but it talked about that. And it was all about human psychology. And what they've actually determined is sometimes these schools would do like almost like a placebo test and label certain amount of kids like gifted, even though they weren't. And then they would tell the teacher like so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so are gifted and they found that the people that were labeled gifted, the teachers would spend extra time with to try to help and get better and their grades would greatly improve. But then, but the reality was is they were actually below average from the other kids, but they were just told the teachers that were gifted. So they started to pay more attention. So now when I look back at the grade school kids that were running around telling everybody they were gifted, they may have actually been the dumb people. I, you know, I just started reading Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, and she talked like literally might be on page 20. But she mentioned somewhere, she's like, they're the gifted kids. And these are the kids that simply their parents had already te started teaching them before they got to school. So they came knowing their letters, they being able to read a little bit. So like right off the bat in kindergarten, they're labeled gifted. That changes the whole trajectory. Definitely. Because I do, I do think the teachers give them special advantages and privileges and a little bit more attention because they want to cultivate what they think is some highly intelligent person. But here's the thing, guys, like people, highly intelligent kids do not always grow up into highly intelligent adults. Intelligence can actually be gained by effort as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to actually continue on that and continue with my personal story, I was labeled as... I had all these learning disabilities. And so I had to go see a tutor who I called Mrs. Raisinbran because that was a big insult in my mind. Um, was, she was she wrinkled? No, her name was <laughs> Rosenberg. Rosenberg. <laughs> I'm, thinking, I was like, I'm thinking like a shriveled, like, you know. No, no you she know, was pretty young. And, dried, uh, dried up raisin, you know, like, like you find in the box. <laughs> not at all. She, so she told my parents I wouldn't go to college. And... Years later, as I was graduating with my master's degree, she had moved on to a career as a nutritionist. And my dad happened to have an appointment with her and was like, oh, by the way, he also just finished her graduate degree. You that's a good, that's a good, happen. that's a good jab. That's always a good jab when you I get know. counted out. And that, man, we could definitely share some stories. I bet you and I both have some stories where doubters field our fire or you know, things people say you can't do, you basically love to prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes that, that doesn't fit, though you can't do it and you're just like, you don't know what you're talking about. Sometimes it's, oh yeah, I'll show you. Yeah, the, the very first company I started in 2001 was actually because of a dare similar to that. And it was because I was a member of another, so to give your listeners some backstory, I created an online community that was based on performance cars. So you know, we had about 150,000 registered members talking about Corvettes, Camaros, Firebirds, and Cadillacs and things like that. But before that, we started that site that did really well. We were all members on another site that was kind of similar platform. And the owner of that site just didn't really take care of the business like he should. He was making advertising revenue 
but he wasn't paying his bills. So the server would always crash and it would delete all the work that we had created for him. So we got kind of frustrated after that happened a few times, you know, we're like, we actually liked the site, but we went to him and we said, Hey, why don't you pay your bills? So we don't have to keep losing all this stuff and starting over from zero again. And he actually got offended and got defensive about that rather than understand that was constructive. And he said, if you guys think you can do a better job, start your own website. So that kind of goes back into that. Oh, Oh, you just dared me to go start my own website. Like I didn't even think about that until you said this. So yeah, I think I will. I think I'll go start the website. So we started the website and this gets better. So, you know, we're a few months in, we're already making some good revenue right away. 2001 This is pre-social media. And, you know, we're, we're kind of getting cocky because we're starting to catch up to his membership numbers. And then one time he, he sends an email and he's like, well, whenever you guys have more than 10,000 members, you can tell me how to run a website. And so at the end of that year, I made sure to reply back to that email said, Hey, we're at 11,000 now. looks like you, you aren't. So would you like some advice on how to run your website? <laughs> Never heard back from that guy ever again. How long did you keep going with that website? We built the company out for about six years and then a larger corporation bought us out. And so that became the, the basis of Side Hustle Millionaire. The book title I wrote was just, it's a, it's a nonfiction title. I mean, it was based on my story and I kind of teach people the mindset and how to get through things and excuses really to, to start that first business and understand that a side business doesn't mean side income. A lot of times people think a side business is kind of like a part-time job or a side business is going to make hobby money. But it, nowadays in this digital technology and all these different things we can do to automate systems and reach a massive scale of, of potential clients or customers, you can make unlimited amounts of money for a very small amount of time. And that's what I'm trying to teach people is these thick, bigger thinking mindsets. Mm, I love that. Bigger thinking mindsets. What, what excuses do you run into when it comes to starting a business or thinking bigger? Most, the number one excuse most people like to say, say is I don't have time. And I'm sure you got some listeners right now nodding to that going, Oh yeah, I don't have time because they have a busy career or they have children or they have a spouse and they like to blame all these other distractions on lack of time. So when they, here's the thing, that's a, that's a really high level surface level excuse that the society as a whole has learned to just dole out. And when you say that to someone who else is aspiring to be an average life, they kind of just accept that at face value, like, Oh, you don't have time either. I don't have time either. We're cool. And then the conversation ends. Right. So it's kind of like, it's like this, you know, it's a, it's an agreement between people like don't, don't pry deeper than that. Just, you know, just take yeah. that at face value and just understand that we're all the same. And, but when you say that to someone like me or any other business coach or anyone like that, we're like, Oh, you don't have time well, what do you do between five and 6 PM? What do you do from six to seven? What do you do from seven to eight? What do you do from eight to nine? We basically start breaking down their day and you start to see quickly, they run out of things that they're actually doing. Now, some people I get it. They do have a slammed schedule, but for the vast majority, they do not. They're wasting time doing something else. And then you start to reframe that and they're like, well, you know, I like this Netflix series. I like surfing Facebook or you know, things like that. It's the same like the fitness things. People are like, I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to eat healthy. It's like, no, it's, I reframe it as it's not your priority. And yes. then that stings. It stings them a little, Kelsey. When you tell them, well, you know, starting a extra business to enhance your lifestyle and improve the life of your family, that's just not your priority. And they're like, oh, just like when you see someone that's just, just physically out of shape or overweight, 
and they tell you they don't have time to go to the gym. And I tell you, like, your health is the most important thing of anything because if you're not healthy, all the other stuff doesn't even matter. Like, you could be financially successful, but if you're unhealthy and, and you can't enjoy that or you're going to die soon, like, who cares? Like, it's not even worth it. So you always got to put your health first. And I know you're big athletic and, and fitness, and you're, you're definitely nodding your head and believing in this, but yeah. I see so many people put their life on hold because of that excuse of time. And the thing is, is we all have the exact same amount of hours per day. There's billionaires out there running 40 organizations. They're sitting on the board of directors of all these different companies, you know, millions of employees. And I mean, you think Jeff Bezos, like, you know, he's, he's got 24 hours a day, just like you, just like me. And he's, he's managing a you know multi-billion dollar company and a bunch of other companies that are spinoffs from Amazon. So don't tell me that you don't have time. Like your priorities are just not correct. Uh, yes. And this is actually like totally what I started my day thinking about. Um, and I want to get back to that in a second, but another place that I see it is with people making excuses why they don't have a mindfulness practice. I don't have time. And with that one, even, you know what? One minute counts. And if you do not have one minute, then we'll, well, then we'll have to go through your day hour by hour. Cause I'm pretty sure you can meditate on the toilet if you need to. Like, Might be a good place to do it, you know? You know, what else are you going to do? I don't need to know what else you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> but in that, that piece about priorities, I think that shows up too with the excuse of it's too expensive, which I don't even, that phrase is so disempowering and it doesn't really even mean anything. The, my interpretation of it's too expensive is it's not my priority right now. I just feel the energy difference in that. It's not my priority. You're taking ownership. It's too expensive. Like I'm a victim to it. I hate that phrase. I hate when anyone uses it's too expensive because what happens is when you use that frame, it's definitely a negative connotation. It basically shuts off your brain from any opportunity or potential to ever be able to afford that because you got to visualize your goals, anything, you know, whether that's fitness or success or relationship or whatever it is, you have to visualize what you want. And when you say, I can't do that, or that's too expensive, you basically just turned your brain off. Now you give it, you've removed any goals. It's not going to start. It's not going to look for opportunities. It's not going to problem solve in the background and try to get to that goal. So instead of saying that's too expensive, just say, I can't afford that yet, or I can't yeah. afford that right now, yeah. or, or even better. Here's a better way. Just say, how can I afford that? Yes. That's the yeah. most empowering. Always, instead of saying that's too expensive, think about how can I afford that? And that's going to challenge your brain, which is this huge problem solver. And it likes to work in the background and subconscious and all kinds of things. So if you challenge your brain and give it a go, how can I afford that? How can I afford that, that fancy purse? How can I afford that exotic car? How can I afford that big house? How can I afford having a, a beautiful relationship with somebody that you know, cares about me? These are the things that you're going to create your brain, a goal, a challenge. And it's a problem solver. It's always going to work to get to that solution. It's going to start to identify opportunities that lead you to that goal. It's going back to that toddler state too. Like a toddler is super curious. And for some reason, some adults, not me because I am sometimes annoyingly curious, um, lose their curiosity. But the, the thing is, we like if you lean into curiosity, then how can I do that? How can I make that better? How can I afford it? How can I even like, how can I lose 10 pounds? How can I make this business successful? Whatever it is, like you are moving forward in the process with, with the, like, it's too expensive. I actually hear a door closing 
Like you had the door open to whatever your desire was and you just closed it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's huge. That's huge. It, it, it definitely, there's, it's, it's not always what you say. It's definitely how you say that. And that kind of goes with all types of communication and, and the things you tell yourself and then tell your brain, they're, they're, they're controlling your actions. So when you shut those doors and you don't do anything about things and things kind of fester and you kind of bury them under a bunch of other excuses and then you hang out with a bunch of other people who are just aspiring to be average and be boring. And here, here's the thing, Kelsey's like, I help a lot of people start their first companies or scale their small businesses. And what I find is a lot of times my clients have these goals that they think that are their goals, but what they really had discover after talking with me a few times is that their goals are not even their own goals. Their goals that were established by their mom and their dad or their wife or their best friends or the people that they work with. Like, you know, they, we start to really question what is our real goal? Like, is this really my real goal? Like, do I want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year? Is that really, why do I, why do I have that number in my head? And Oh, it's because, my best friend, John, you know, told me that a hundred thousand dollars was successful. And when I was a kid, everybody told me a hundred thousand dollars was successful. And so I've got this two decades of crap going through my head. Then when I finally get there, I go, wow, I, I'm here, but I, I don't feel successful. But here I am with all my average Joe friends and I'm not bagging on, you know, middle-class average people. They're great people. That's what I grew up as lower middle-class. My parents were blue collar, hardworking people, but we, we tend to set goals based on who we hang around or what the people have told us or the authority figures in our life have told us that was the good, that was the goal. And sometimes those goals are where they're at. They're not like reaching above where they're at. So they've kind of adopted this life of complacency on their own. And they say, Hey, jump in. The pool is warm. You know, it's just like here, you know, we're, we're comfortable. we got a house and got a mortgage. You got a steady job with the air quotes and you know, all these things. So you start to aspire for average. And to me, that's just, so far below your potential. There's so much truth to what you just said. There's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize. Our parents have dreams for us. And sometimes we start trying to live those dreams without checking in to see if they're ours. Like, what do we want? Do we want the picket fence? Do we want to live two doors down from our parents? Do we want to belong to the same clubs to like, what is our vision? Yeah. Challenge everything, challenge everything. Like, especially if you're an adult and you've been in your career a while, cause I've had people that I've helped reinvent and pursue their actual dreams. And people had high paying jobs, even myself, I was highly paid multiple six figure salary, engineering project management, working for major oil. And although I was good at it and I was proficient at it and they paid me well to do it. It wasn't my passion. It was just something that I kind of went along this path initially because I was a race to six figures. I was always like when I was told I was the first one in my entire family to go to college, paid for it myself. It was a real struggle. It took me like seven years. I was welding pipe, waiting tables at night, going to school, just doing what I could to pay for it. And I struggled through that, but you got to find that, Sometimes, like you said, the, the career or the profession that you have is not meant for you. It was not your purpose. It was not your intention. It was just something along the way that your mom and dad said, hey, you need to be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer. You need to be a nurse. Whatever these things are high paying because they're trying to they mean the, they mean the best for you. Yeah. They, they want you to have things that they didn't have. They want you to get financially secure. And there are certain careers that pay better than others. I mean, we're not going to deny that. But when you're you know, not wanting to get out of bed in the morning and you're 
you're thinking like, oh crap, I got to go to that job again. Or even if it's like a company you started that you didn't have a lot of passion about, oh crap, I got to go to work. If you're getting up every morning, kind of dreading that, that getting dressed, commuting, showing up at the office, like chances are that's not the career that you should have been in. Yeah. I lived that years ago when I, I was, got my master's in marine biology and I eventually went on to work, worked for the federal government. I worked in a cube. I am not made for cubes. I wore like, you know, real work clothes. I'm not made for those either. And the highlights of my day were, were my, I, I loved the spin class I went to in the morning. I bike commuted during part of the year. And I, I loved going to master's from practice at night. Those, that's what got me through the days. Nothing like the job did not light me up. Cubicles, cubicles. I have, I have a good, good stories about cubicles because oil industry, right? I've been through three day, three major downturns in my career. And there's many times I had that glass corner office. And then there's times in between where I had cubes and that's because I would have to claw my way to the top and prove my, my worth, earn that, you know, that, that corner office just to arrive at a downturn and get laid off again because you're disposable in that industry. Then you're unemployed for six months because at that level there's few jobs. So then you finally get to a, another job in another company and you're starting two or three rungs down that same ladder that you already climbed back in the cubicle again until you can prove yourself up for the next two or three years to get to that high level again the salary you were making three years prior, <laughs> here comes a downturn again. It's like this cycle about every five to seven years, we start to see this downturn happen based on economics as a global commodity. It's, it's not something the U S controls. It's what the world economy controls, but that's, that's the case. You start to see the cycle and he's like, you know what? I'm just tired of going through this again. I'm tired of having to reestablish myself after the age of 40. I'm 46 now. Like after the age of 40, I just got tired of, having to reestablish myself every single time and enter that cubicle farm. And have you ever noticed that cube farms are kind of laid out like a maze? Yeah. That's because they want you to go back in there and get lost. Yeah. They want, they want to pay you just enough to keep you complacent and not want to do anything better with your life. Yeah. And let's back up too to what you said earlier about you were really good at what you did I think that's something that can seduce us into staying places where we're like, our soul isn't happy, but we hear, well, I'm really good at it. I mean, it can keep us in relationships too that aren't serving us. Like, Oh, well, here she likes me a lot. Like they're really nice to me. They really take care of me. It's so true. We, we bargain to ourselves based on an emotional level. Sometimes the logic even basically reinforces that bargaining. And it, that's what really compounds why we end up stuck in, in the rut and we just kind of accept the way it is. And, and we also have the, the sunk cost fallacy where you've spent all this money and time on getting a degree or a certification or training and you hate to waste it, hate to waste it. But the sunk cost fallacy is that you've already spent it and no amount of doing with or without it is going to change the outcome. So, you know, I have my engineering degree hanging on the wall right there, not using it. It served me well. I did pretty well. I learned a lot of things in the corporate level and, you know, gave me a lot higher, you know, levels of knowledge in different subjects and materials and physics and all these different things. But at the end of the day, I had to really understand like, yeah, that was a struggle. Like I mentioned going through college and that's kind of the reason I didn't want to get away from it. 
like, oh, I busted my ass for seven years and I you know, spent almost a hundred thousand dollars of my own money to get this. And who am I? What kind of a jerk am I to like walk away from that? What kind of an ass am I that just turns away, you know, two hundred thousand dollar base salaries? Like that's like a dream job. Like who am I? You know, that that's the kind of talk that will keep you in your job and, and that's the kind of talk that will keep you unhappy. Yeah. And sometimes it's about the process. It's not about the the finish line. Like for you, maybe you got more out of that six-year process of working your butt off to get yourself through college than you did from the job you got from all that work you did in college. Absolutely. I would say that I only slept about four hours a night during that period because I was just working full-time and studying and going to school at night, basically. And even the weekends, I was working in restaurants to, to make extra money, pay bills. And what happened is when I finally did graduate engineering school and I got the first salary job, I think at the time was like 45 grand, which was pretty good at that, that time. I was getting home at 4.30 and I had all this free time in the evening. I was like, wow, this feels like a part-time job because I'm not used to doing that. Like, what do I do now? And for a while, I would just go out and drink beer with my friends and, you know, in the, in the late 20s and, and just do that kind of thing. And, and it's like, this is kind of wasteful. It's like, I'm, it's not being productive. I, I mean, I feel like I'm getting fat now and I'm starting to get weak. And it's like, just, I can already see the lifestyle is not really going to play out very well. So I said, like, well, I need to be more productive. Like, I need to start doing either another side job or I need to start some companies. So I actually went back and started managing the restaurant that I used to be a waiter at on the weekends and the evenings just to pick up extra shifts instead of wasting time doing stupid stuff. And because I'd already had this extreme schedule and time management and just being able to hustle nonstop and not let it phase me that I needed something to fill that void. And a lot of people get home at five o'clock and they sit their ass on the couch and then they wonder why their life doesn't improve is because they're just wasting all this time. And, and that's something I def definitely, like you said, learned during those college years that applied for the rest of my life because I've always created businesses while I had a full-time job. You know, I think it was before we hit record, you were talking about how you've got this pretty like gloriously spacious day today. I inserted glorious because spaciousness is my jam. Um, and it, so it sounds like you've changed a lot from that guy who just needed to like fill, fill more time to somebody who can honor and like expand into the spaciousness. How did that shift happen? Absolutely. So when you, when you grow up middle class, lower middle class, even in the poverty line, we have this mentality of trading our hours for dollars. It's the employee mindset. It's a kiss of death of scalability. So, so I hate to say it, you know, 80% of the people in this country have that mindset of, Hey, I need to trade my, my physical one hour here for this one amount of dollars. And that's basic of a salary or a job, you know, our hourly job, you're just basically showing up for X amount of hours and getting paid. X amount of dollars. And so you start to think about businesses. What do I need to do to like work three hours extra a night to make, you know, a hundred bucks or, you know, you start to bargain with yourself. You start to value your own worth based on that hourly rate that you're currently making. So if you're a $20 an hour person, you like, you hope you can make $20 an hour on a side job. If you're a hundred thousand dollar salary person, you're hoping that you can make, you know, you know, a little bit, a little multiplier of that for something else. And so we, we tend to set our self worth around what our current income is. And that's just terrible because the value we can create in this world is so much bigger. There's no limit. Mm -hmm. Limits are purely imaginary. And a lot of people just kind of limit themselves severely. So until you can get out of that dollar trading and hour trading mindset, you're not going to be able to do something that scales 
And for a while it was me starting that business. Even then I was like, Hey, if I, if I put two hours a day in here and I can make, you know, extra hundred bucks, like that's awesome. You know, I had really low goals because I had that mindset. I didn't know any different, but then I started to see this, this business grow and grow and grow. And it started to scale. And I realized like, wait a minute, we're making enough money. I can actually pay someone else to do some of these tasks that I don't really enjoy, like updating the server and doing hardware licenses and, you know, graphic design, things that I would normally do. I was able to pay something. And I was like, wait a minute. So I'm actually making more money and I'm doing less work. Like this is, what is this bizarre world? Like, I never heard of this. Like I didn't grow up with any entrepreneurs, you know, like this is like all new to me. And I started just playing with it and testing it and understanding it and how to scale it even more. So now that I'm, you know, 25 years into a career, I start looking for business models that require very little of my time. I look for business models that require very little of my location or presence because I want to be able to travel the world. My wife and I, we love to travel. We're everywhere. I like to be able to just do my business by a cell phone. Our, our cell phones are better than laptops, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So you can be doing everything that you need to do on your, on your phone nowadays on certain business models. So I got away from trading hours for dollars. I still have to do that for the coaching type programs. But even now, I'm still working on getting some more online programs so I can scale that and scale my time investment for creating programs versus trading hours for dollars. So you got to think you got to get away from that employee mindset and start to adopt the entrepreneur mindset of what value you create in this world. Can you make thousands of dollars per hour instead of you know X amount of dollars small scale? Yeah, I just had an aha while you were talking. I realized that back when I was a teenager, I was a lifeguard. And some days were fun. Some days were a drag. There'd be like three people at the pool. And because basically when everyone's safe, lifeguarding is just people watching. Mm -hmm. But when the pool gets quiet, there's no one to watch. I would count down the hours and I would make myself feel better by thinking of like how much money I, I can't remember how much I got paid. Not, not much, but I would think like, Oh, it's okay. I'm making this amount three more hours. That's like 60 more dollars. I don't think I made $20 an hour though, but uh, yeah. So that mentality starts early. Oh, and it, it actually carries into your entire career. If you don't snap out of it, if you don't get around people who think bigger and read some more books and understand how to scale your, your value versus your hours, mm -hmm. it's, it's going to keep you there forever. I mean, people work their entire 40, 45 year career and, and retire and die of that same mentality because they just don't know any better. It's how they were taught. They don't, they don't challenge themselves to question everything. They just, this is how it is. This is life. Deal with it. But I can even tell you like your lifeguard story. I, I know this is going to resonate with a lot of people. You're, you're sitting in your office. You're sitting in your cubicle. It's near the end of the day. You've got like two hours left. You've probably already accomplished all the tasks that you could do for the day. You're waiting on you know other people for their stuff. And you're just surfing Facebook probably or looking at your phone and watching the damn clock because you can't leave early. You're doing the same thing as being a lifeguard right there. Yeah. Without you, feel like you're, you feel like you're wasting your life away. And if you do this every day, if you do this five days a week, you it's excruciating, especially if you're a high producer or a very busy body type person that likes to be challenged and take on more responsibilities. When you physically don't have more work that you can accomplish and you're, you feel like you're, they're paying you just to sit there. That's mm. terrible. That's such a terrible feeling. It's like, it's like, I feel like I'm wasting my life. What well, this next two hours, what would I rather be doing? What, and sometimes you, if, if your boss were to go, Hey, would you like to go home two hours early and just, you know, take a pay cut? I guarantee most people will be like, yes, I just want to go out of here and go do something else. 
I truly believe we all want our souls to be set on fire in everything we do. And yet somewhere along the line, we get this idea that that can't exist, that we have to settle, that this is just the way life is. But really, I don't know. My soul is pretty much on fire all day, every day. How about you? Yeah, nowadays, definitely. I haven't had a salary job in three years now, and I'm I'm sitting here at the house, and you know, I get to work out five, six days a week now. I'm in the best shape of my life, and I'm eating healthier, and get to enjoy talking to people like yourself, and just having these really cool brain sessions. Mm-hmm. Creative, like building. I'm building three companies, and so I stay really busy, but it's fun. It's like I don't like like I can sit here 16 hours to avoid working eight hours at some crappy job. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and you get to watch Cardinals. <laughs> he's been he's been quiet lately, so I won't I won't uh, jinx that. No, we won't jinx that. <laughs> um, so this label idea, whether it's labeling dollars per hour or labeling putting a label or a cap on how much money we think we want to make, I think it's so interesting, and I I think a lot of people don't recognize this. They'll they'll set a goal quote unquote, for themselves to make a certain amount of money or achieve something specific. And yet that, that could be a goal. It could be a limit. Goals are tricky like that. I'm actually more of a fan of intentions of saying, being open to possibilities and saying like, you know, I want to make as much money as I can doing that rather than limiting it. Mm -hmm. What's your experience in that? So most goals, most, most people set goals based on a low multiplier of where they currently are. And I hate, you know, I hate that that's the fact, but that's just how it is. Cause I, I've been there. I did my entire life. I'd, I was always bargaining to get a little bit more than I was making, you know? So if I was, you know, minimum wage job, I'd want a dollar more an hour. If I wanted, if I was a $20 person, I wanted $25 an hour. If I, I was making 50,000. My goal was to make 75,000. If I made a hundred thousand, I want 150. So you're always like, like setting these, what we call achievable goals that we always hear about. Like, Oh, set achievable goals. And well, I don't believe in those because I think if you set achievable goals, you're not really pushing yourself. You're not really putting in a lot of extra effort because let's be honest. If somebody came up to you and they said, Hey, can you give 10% more and you'll get here? And it's like some low goal. You're going to be like, Hmm, I think I'll just do 10% less and like stay where I'm at. That's how most people are wired. We just look for the comfort zone. And that's what I say is I, I like to set big, big goals because that's what motivates you. Like when you have big goals and everything starts to become a yes, no question. So every decision you make every day, every decision, whether that's the food that's on the end of your fork or who you're hanging out with or the time you're wasting or, or spending doing productive things, every single decision is, is going to either get you closer to that big goal or it's going to move you away from that goal. Like it's every decision, every yeah. single decision. And when you start to understand and you gain that awareness and you can look back and go, okay, you know, uh, you know, you know, John wants me to go hang out at the bar tonight and I got this work to do, but man, being at the bar sure sounds like fun. There's a game on TV and you know what? I'm just going to go to the bar and I'm not saying don't reward yourself. But if you're putting off things that you know that you should be doing that are moving you towards your goal, at least you became aware of that decision. And if you start to have about 90% accuracy, let's shoot for 90. I'm not going to say anybody's perfect. We always like have some kind of thing that distracts us or makes us fail, but you got to start noticing the trend of, okay, I'm doing 90% more towards that goal. But you'll find, you know, Kelsey, most people don't have a goal at all. They just kind of just live paycheck to paycheck. They don't, 
they just kind of take their worth based on who's assigned it to them rather than what they really want. And that's, that's the, that's the disheartening thing that makes me sad. And I try to help people snap out of that because we are each here for a purpose. We are each here for some kind of a reason. And until you realize that you have so much more power in this world than you believe you're not going to do anything. You're not going to do anything about it. You're not going to raise your voice. You're not going to take a stand. You're not going to, you know, respect yourself. You're not going to gain that confidence. All these things are going to play and keep you playing small. But then when you start to look around at all the people around you and they're all playing small, you just feel like, Oh, I guess this is how it is. This is the life that I have. I should be grateful for what I have, but yeah, be grateful for what you have and understand there's more available. Yeah. Gratitude and desire can coexist. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's okay to want. And, and actually I challenge everyone listening right now to just take a second to ask yourself what you want. Because I realize more and more that a lot of people never ask themselves that question. No, and that's, that's actually one of the, the coaching exercises that you see a lot of high level coaches will, will go through a tell me what you want exercise. And this is something that your listeners could do on their own. They actually have a friend or a family member do this exercise with you. Basically get a blank sheet of paper, sit down across from each other at a table and just have the other person ask you, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And over and over. And every time they ask you, verbalize, I want this and then write it down. Yeah. And then they, and then, then they ask you again, just keep repeating until you can't think of anything else that you want you start just running on ideas and sometimes these lists get 50, a hundred things because where you're going to find that during this exercise is a lot of times the initial answers are kind of like those high level things that oh, I want a yacht. I want a mansion. I want a Ferrari. Like these are the things that you, you kind of throw out right away because everybody kind of wants that. And as they start to dig deeper and just keep asking you that you start to boil down to the things that really matter to you near the end of that list. Like when you're really having to peel back these layers and you might just find that you want independence or you want a better relationship or you want better friends. You know, you start to find the real values that you need to you know, work on. But so when you identify the key things that are going to make you happy and light your fire, those are the things you need to improve on. Those are the things you got to take action on. And, and, you know, if you do that, you may end up with all those, those giant wants. You may end up with the yacht or the world travel or whatever the things you may save the planet. I mean, whatever your big, big asks are, you're not going to get there until you handle those, those core values that you need to improve. Yeah. And once you're in alignment with those core values, you're going to be in flow. Then you're going to be able to achieve anything. You're going to be unstoppable. Absolutely. The smallest progress is the best motivator. So most people like to share motivational memes and things like that. And, 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 they don't take any action. How many people listening have seen their friends like share motivational memes on Facebook or Instagram and you know them individually and you're like, that person doesn't do any of the stuff that they're posting. It's just, so their action has become sharing a message rather than doing what the message suggests. That's terrible because a lot of times it goes back to the brain thing. We, well, you know what? I need to be positive today. So I'm going to find a motivational meme to share. So all my friends will like it. And then they do that and they think that's the action. Mm-hmm. So they, they feel like they've kind of, you know, well, I did my action for the day. I did my good chore for the day, but they don't, they don't believe the action. They don't live by that action. So it doesn't even matter. And you got to get away from doing that. You got to find motivation. And I'll tell you that the, the most successful people are the ones who are willing to do things, even when they're not motivated. That's the key. 
like, you know, Kelsey, when you want to go run or get on that bike, there's, I bet there's many days you're like, you know what, this sucks. I do not want to do this today. But then you think about the results and you yeah. think about, wait a minute, every time I've been to the gym, I never left there like unhappy that I went. Yeah. Never. I mean, even going back to when I was 15 and playing high school football and going to the gym and exercising, I can never think one time that I was leaving the gym or an exercise facility thinking like, that sucked. I, I, why did I do that today? <laughs> never. 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 No, it's, it's always going to, and actually run into a problem. Like if I'm getting sick, the, I think I want to go work out. And then the whole time wondering, am I supposed to be doing this right now? <laughs> Usually no by the end. I think I have a fever or no, uh, I'm good now. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause like, even if it, if you have like a head cold, you can still train your body. That's the funny part as long as you mm-hmm. can breathe, but yeah, it depends any, any, on, depends on the sport. You can snot yeah. it out in the pool and on the bike and on the yeah. run, you can just mouth breathe. That's it. But if you have like the, the chills or the achy joints, yeah, don't, that's yeah, bad. Then, then sleep, <laughs> rest. Yeah. yeah. So that there's definitely that, but you know, a lot of people, think they need motivation or inspiration to do things. And they're always like looking for this magic pill or silver bullet to, to give them the motivation. And I get that because we all in the personal development space, we enjoy those books. We enjoy listening yeah. to these podcasts to inspire us, but realize that real success comes when you can do things without being motivated. Yes. And when, when you find yourself really, really looking outside yourself that's always a sign. Look in. You have the answers. So true. We all, we all have our answers. You know, what's funny is like a lot of times we, we deal with clients who want to start a company or build some self-confidence or maybe they want to get better at public speaking. All these different problems I try to help them with. A lot of times they know what they need to do. I mean, I, I mean as a good coach, I'll ask them. I use like the how, who, why, when yeah. questions to kind of get them to have some dialogue to understand what their problem is. And and they'll tell me like, you know, I, you know, I just want to do this and I want to achieve this with my life. And, and, and I was like, well, what's the next step? And then they usually tell me that they usually know the next three steps. Well, I think I should create a website and I think I should, you know, save some money to, to put towards that thing. And I think I should, you know, find the brand or what I want to, you know, what I want to do. And I was like, yeah, those are actually the right answers. But the find you find that they almost need some kind of validation. They almost need some kind of approval from somebody who may like myself who has done that, mm-hmm. or, or they may just need someone to bounce that idea off of, to re, you know, just really to validate their idea. And that's the sad part about it is when you start to have self-confidence, you don't really need the validation or approval from other people anymore. Yeah. And, and which is such a freeing place. And yet we still need people. We need people to like, lean on to lift us up to be able to be like hey come with me we're going to this thing who can people who can call us out because there's we still have blind spots no Absolutely. matter how bright and shiny you get there's still a whole section of stuff you can't see Absolutely. And find, and find that support group. Find, and it doesn't have to be in your zip code. Don't think that you need like friends and buddies like in your zip code or your city to to be that group because nowadays with Facebook and things like yeah. that, you can find some incredible people all over this world. I've got friends all over this world that I would trade for the people that live here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so don't think that you need to, to think that you're going to have to think big. So find Facebook groups like that I run and I've got a group called 365 driven entrepreneurs. 
if your listeners are curious, they want to start a business, join it. There's about 2,500 people in there. It's a very supportive group. There's even companies in there who are rivals on the, on the playing field, but they collaborate behind closed doors in my group to help each other because we have that growth mindset. We're always trying to help each other level up. Mm-hmm. So when you can start to find those people online, you can do webinars like you and I are speaking on a webinar software, Zoom. These are very powerful things that you need because you're going to find a lot of times if you want to get to that next level, you need to find out who a group of people who have operated at that level and get their advice, get their encouragement, get their support because that's how you get there. Because if you just surround yourself with people who are aspiring to be average, your coworkers are just aspiring to be average and they're just keeping their head down and looking for the steady job and all this, this crap that corporate America sells to them. You're not going to level up because you're not going to have these conversations. So when you go to, you know, dinners and things like that with your friends and, and all they want to do is talk about their kids playing soccer or karate or ballet. And, you know, Timmy did this in school, like that's small talk. And I get that. That's, that's okay once in a while. But if the entire, you know, one to two hour conversation is just small talk and it's like, you're like, you, you're craving like, man, I would like, I would like to have a conversation with Kelsey or Tony or just somebody I can you know, talk about what I want to talk about, which may be personal development or growth or fitness or just exciting things rather than small talk. So go find those people online. Yeah. Yeah. We're all connected these days. There's no excuses. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the internet has made the world very small. Yeah, absolutely. Tony, this has been awesome. I've had a, so much fun on this conversation. Where can people, okay. You so see, you mentioned your free Facebook group. Where else can people connect with you, work with you, get your book, all the things. Keep it real simple for you. It's, it's website. It's 365driven.com. So 365driven.com. And on there, you'll find links to my podcast, my best-selling book, coaching program, and just all my social media channels. I'm very active on Instagram and Facebook, but all the links are there. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.